anybody, if you are a leader of people, you owe it to your team and you have an obligation to get your own house in order and make sure that you are aware of how you are, what energy you bring to the practice every day, what energy you bring to the people around you every day. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. Find AmeriVet Veterinary Partners at www.amerivet.com. We are so excited to have a wonderful guest on today. Jake Wass is the practice owner and hospital administrator at Covina Animal Hospital. Jake is also a certified veterinary practice manager who I heard just got his certification. So woohoo! Yay, congratulations! Congrats, Jake. Yay. Excellent, excellent. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we have a tradition on the show that we don't actually read a bio. Uh, we like our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. So without having to read anything formal, tell us about yourself and your veterinary journey and what brings you to kind of where you are today. So I grew up always, you know, wanting to be a vet. I know there's lots of people out there who want to be a vet as a kid. That was that was me. Uh, I also had the privilege of having a mom who's a vet. So that made it kind of nice. Uh, you know, she would always bring home the scrubs and stethoscope. And I remember dressing up for Halloween's as a, as a vet type, type of kid doing that for, for years. That's so awesome. I, I love that. <laughs> that was always, that was me growing up. And by the time I got to high school, you know, my interests started to diverge. I was trying to, you know, think about what I really wanted to do with life. I think I always wanted to own my own business. Uh, you know, I grew up family. It's a family-owned business, uh, our, our practice. So mom and dad, my mom's a vet. Dad kind of did the, more of the books and, and behind-the-scenes type things. So grew up around that. Um, always had the entrepreneurial business owner mindset. And, you know, by the time I went to college, I was still trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And my, my parents gave me a call one day. They were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. They were starting to get to that point in life, uh, retirement age and, and planning out their you know, exit strategy. And the stars just kind of aligned. It was just a, a great opportunity to, to be able to go back and, and work with my parents and work on that transition and carry out the family legacy. And that's how I got started working in the practice. 
So after I graduated from UC Davis in 2014, I went back to work and was in the family business. I started, you know, working in the kennels. I worked the weekends. I did the holiday shifts, came in on Sundays when we were closed, walked the dogs, did all that and spent a few months there, spent a few months in our reception department, answering phones, dealing with clients, got the great, you know, getting yelled at by clients thing going. Don't we all love that? <laughs> yeah, got, got that experience. Uh, started working in the treatment department, did, you know, all the technical skills, you know, learned how to place catheters, draw blood, you know, run tests, do those types of things. And that was just a really good experience. Like I, I loved being able to be like hands-on. It helped me really understand how the business is run and how it works at the ground level. And that was just a really good experience. And plus the people that are there that really actually some of them knew me since before I was even born. So there were some struggles and an interesting conflict with that, with the boss's son coming in, but yeah, I tried to earn my, there. <laughs> earn yeah, my <right>. way. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I definitely had to earn, earn my keep and earn my way through, but there's, it was a great team of just really knowledgeable and smart, helpful people that really taught me a lot about just how we do things and how we practice good medicine and good client service. So that was good. And, you know, after a couple of years of, of kind of starting to pick that in and slowly starting to learn more of the business things, yeah, by 2016, my parents, they fully retired. So at that point, I was, you know, the practice manager at the helm and, you know, running the ship. So it was good. You know, again, I had a strong team that I could always lean on. I parents still were always there if, if I needed anything they were just a phone call away <laughs> yeah, right, talk about right. being thrown to the wolves right like yeah. two years in and then you're like it's all yours bye yeah they were my mom was ready to retire she was she was she was definitely ready to retire but no it was it was good it was it was a good couple of years to be able to work together and now I mean even to this day I mean, we still talk about the business and, and they give me a lot of good support and, and ideas so so it's nice but fasting forward to today, you know, really, I, I was always so concerned about carrying out my parents' legacy and making sure that, you know, our, our business has been in the community since 37. My parents pre purchased the practice in 95, but we have generations of clients who have been coming to us for, for years and years and just so concerned with carrying out that legacy. Um, but now, now that my parents have been out for, for a bit and, and I've been running things for a while, I want to create my own mark, you know, like I want to, I want to create something. Right. Make it your own. Yeah. My, yeah. Something that's my own, something that I could create my legacy off of too. So more recently, you know, I'm very passionate about leadership and, and business. Uh, and so really where my mindset now is how can we transition this practice to it's already a great practice, but making it truly a trendsetter in the industry, you know, for for the you know, the whole industry, uh, you know, based around self-managing teams, something that creates value for all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. Uh, and a big part of that is, and and I know you guys, you know, talk about this a lot on the podcast about you know, team, team engagement and compensation and benefits, especially for our technical staff. Sure. Right. The engagement is a big part of that. Yeah. You know, making this a profession that people can be in and create a career out of. 
is something that would mean a lot to me. So that's where my focus is, is really creating a business model that makes it something special for, for everybody involved. That's awesome. So we always ask our guests too, if they have a kind of favorite, like a book or a podcast or a continuing education meeting they went to or a class that really left a lasting effect on you, Jake. So do you have some nugget or some, uh, you know, learning that you did that, you know, that really kind of struck you? CE has a very special place in my heart. <laughs> I, yeah, this uh... is where Jake and I totally geek out, right, Jake? <laughs> That's right. How many endless conversations have we had about this? I can't wait to talk to you about this. Or airplane rides home. <laughs> right. Spending right. hours talking about stuff. Oh, gosh. I I love CE. I, I just, I mean, school, formal education was great, but I feel like I really learned how to be a leader from the networking and and meeting other people and going to conferences. Uh, I feel like the first conference I went to was Western States in Vegas. And that was about oh, my and first, that was first like, year in. Oh, and that was like blow your socks off then. That was, that's like Western is like, poof. I, I went there. I, I was like a kid in a candy store. I yeah, soaked I up. Every, I took I had pages of notes. I'm sure everybody at the practice hated me when I got back because I wanted to change <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything needed to be different. And from course, here on out, if Jake ever goes to a conference, we're all screwed. Yep, <laughs> yeah, right. That, yep, exactly. <laughs> but that's when I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's like so much opportunity here. There's so many ideas, so many cool people. It was great. And then I was so fortunate, you know, one of our, our drug reps mentioned, uh, you know, this this manager group based out of Orange County. And that's where I started going. Oh, to some, oh some, those people. Those people. <laughs> those girls. And so I start going and I'm like, this is like a mini Western. Every Once a month, I get to go to a conference once nice. a month and, and meet nice. and network and, and share <laughs> ideas. Um, so that was great. You know, coming across the VHMA and and that organization of people i went to first vhma conference it was like these are my people these, yeah. these are the people who you know you're not just the technician you know a manager anymore these are like people who want yeah. to be a right. manager and right. are you're a manager. the business manager yeah absolutely yeah. a lot of peers yeah right so i loved that that side of things so really i mean i i love the conference side of things because i i just feel i have learned so so much from other colleagues and hearing ideas at conferences and the, the relationships that have been built that I can just you know shoot a text message or an email or pick up the phone sure, and call. Right. I, I feel like so many of the, the things that we've implemented and done at our practice have on one level or another come from stolen from a conference so and i remember you taking your team was it cvc that all a bunch of us went down to and you had i don't know two or three or four people from your team in fact shout out to your mom whoop whoop she is amazing i love her but she went to a cvc with us that's right she did yeah yeah that was fun i love bringing my team to the ce I, that's that's great yeah i brought like our whole leadership team to a VHMA conference once and that was that was a good yeah. experience but yeah CVC because yeah, that was local that yeah to get you know had a couple of technicians a couple of reception CSR people to come it was good so again same thing like whether it's me coming back with implementing ideas or people going to conferences and then bringing that back and sharing it with the rest of the team 
it's one of the best benefits I feel like we provide for our team is for them to go to these conferences and bring that stuff back. And just out of curiosity, Jake, have you gone to any virtual CE um, or conferences in the last year? I did VHMA's on, uh, conference and probably just because I'm, I'm also a part of their the programming for, oh, right. That's for right. that. So I, I did attend that. And I miss the in-person. I, yeah. I think we did a good job putting on a, a solid conference with good CE. And, you know, I attend webinars and things here and there. But, man, there is something to be said for that in-person experience. So Yeah, the networking, I think, is a priceless out of it. Because, like you said, stuff that you're bringing back is either somebody else's blooper or blunder or their amazing gem. And you're like, yeah, I'm totally going to make that fit for our practice. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we didn't spend, I spent most of the time talking about, you know, continuing education, but books, I could, I could go on and on about books and things too, but those, <laughs> oh, those same thing. I've had so many books that, you know, whether it's veterinary specific, I think of Dr. Weinstein's, you know, E-Myth for Veterinarians. Like that was one of those books yeah, that just totally yeah. shaped like, oh my gosh, working on your business. What's that? I know, isn't that crazy? You actually make time to ponder and strategically plan and think about stuff. No way, no way. <laughs> but when I first heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, uh, it's incredible. That makes sense. And so, yes, of course, so you're like, how do you find the time for that? But when I saw that, I was like, wow, working on your business, not in your business. That was great. So then it came on to, you know, things like the checklist manifesto or traction or, or a number of books that have just totally shaped how I think about, you know, organizational structure and business. And those are all things that, again, it just the amount that I've grown from books and CE has been just huge since graduating from college. So as, I mean, you mentioned earlier, of course, that you're a practice owner, but you were a practice manager for a couple of years there. So understanding both of those roles, and I know you're, you're fairly, I would say young, <clears throat> not as seasoned as the rest of us in both of those roles, but you have more experience or different experience than say David and I or other managers out there because you wear the hat of a practice owner. So talk about that with me a little bit. Tell us how, like I've had roles with my practice owner where I've either, I get them and I can make decisions like them. I think like them. They've told me like, Hey, you think like a practice owner. And then I've had a couple times where I've not been able to get into a groove with my practice owner. Or I don't necessarily know what's going to happen with this decision, or I think I'm making the decision my practice owner would, but it really wasn't. And so I, I think that those two positions have to be so closely aligned. And so you being in both of those roles, tell me what it's like and how practice managers can learn to make decisions, quote, like an owner, right? Or how to make decisions when our practice owners aren't there or can't, and we have to be the ones stepping into that role and make those decisions. So you've, you've wore both those hats. Tell me about how we can do better at that or understanding those roles. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, well, first I would say that managers we're caretakers, this whole, this, not just managers, but this industry, we're filled with caretakers. And I think that the people that work in this industry give a shit, a, a lot of them, like they care yeah, so right. much. Right. So deeply and so passionately. Absolutely. And that's where, 
again, when I think back of, of the networking side of things and, and meeting people, the people there care so much and think the same way that I think about things. And I, I don't feel that difference between, you know, ownership or, or manager. And, and even when I see it talking with other people, because, you know, the other managers care just as much as the owner. So to me, I, you know, and you kind of said something interesting that I would love to hear more of what you had to say on that, Andrea, which is yeah. what you, and you say that there are some practices where there was that click and you knew to think like the owner, but then there was other practices where you didn't, what that difference was. Like, why, why do you think that that was there? Yeah, I don't know. And there's times that like, I, I know for sure. I mean, one of my practices, my, one of the first times I was a practice manager, my practice owner, I didn't necessarily always, not that I disagreed, but I didn't always agree with his decisions. And it, it wasn't necessarily that it was just as like, that's not the decision I would have made in that time. Right. But I knew when I was making those decisions, this is how my practice owner would want me to make it. Right. So shout out to Dr. Bill Grant. Love him to pieces. He taught me so much about how people and ownership and and medicine and management and leadership. And I remember thinking to myself, like, he just comped that exam. I would have never done that. I would have done this or whatever the case may be. Right. So not that one was right or wrong, but I knew the next time I was in that position, I knew what his decision would be right I knew that that's the choice he would make and so I just clicked with him and I I think we had good rapport with each other because we talked all the time I was in surgery with him I would go in there and like kick the surgery tech out and then be like okay listen like here's five things and I would trap him in surgery you know there's nowhere he can go so you know I knew I had time with him and then the next practice owner, you know, after that, it was like, okay, well, I think he would decide this, but maybe not. And then coming to find out afterwards, I'll be like, hey, I made this choice today. And he was like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. And I'm like, well, shit, that's what I thought you would have done. But why is that? You know, I don't know that, Jake, that's why I say, like, what, what do you think we can do as a manager to get to know our practice owner better? And I, and I think maybe part of that is asking why. Why did you make that decision? Help me understand you better by telling me why you made that choice. Absolutely. I, I think it, you know, and it always sounds cliche when you throw this out there, but it comes down to communication. It does. I think that yeah. you, you having that open sure. conversation with your practice owner about philosophies, really, it's, it's starting to have, you know, whether it's those experiences that, you know, when you go through the angry, upset client and, and problem solving that and figuring out that, Okay, you know, how does a practice owner like to deal with those things? Or when it comes to, you know, the quality of medicine and the philosophy around medicine, what is it that they're about? What are they trying to go for? So I think it's about really trying to understand those types right. of things. Yeah. And and beyond that, you know, as a manager, you got to find something that I think also aligns with your own personal value set so that you're oh, sure. on the same yeah. page with each other. And it's not a forced thing. You know, of course, you're never going to be perfectly matched up. I, I really like to think of it like a marriage, right? You're not you're not perfectly matched <laughs> on everything. And some sure. things are going to be a little different. You know, you might ne- have never comp that exam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't comp that exam, but he would or she would. But at the core of we're here, we're putting the client first. And we're going to do what we can to make sure that they feel cared for, that they're listened to, and that we're solving their problem. 
and you know whatever that philosophy is and how you approach it that those are aligned because then i think once those are aligned you know those decisions might be slightly different but they're going to be for the most part very aligned yeah right i agree so let's ask you jake the million dollar question would you recommend ownership to other practice managers and and so in some situations it may not be available for whatever reason but in some situations it might be it might be either the owner says you know i'd like to have you look at you know having some equity or the manager goes to the owner and says i've been here so many years what's the equity situation you know like is it is it a possibility um, i've known a couple of technicians rbts that have owned practices in california so those were I think one was a buy-in and one was a startup. So, you know, but both both sides, uh, they basically functioned as, and were managers. They just happened to also be RBTs. And so in your situation too, right, you grew up with a family who owned the business. So, you know, ownership, I can only imagine, is maybe not, as you said, drastically different from management, but there's a, there's a couple of big agencies, including the IRS, right, that come to you as the owner and skip over the manager. So would you recommend ownership to other practice managers? And, and should they uh, look at that as an option and, and go to their practice owners and, and ask about this, this possibility of either buying in or, you know, some sweat equity or, or whatever that might be? Short answer, emphatic yes. I think it's absolutely something that, that managers should do. Long answer, okay, there are some things that should be considered. Okay, I think the first part is is then you really are in a marriage when, when you buy into something. That is a huge commitment that you are making. And, and that's something where you better make sure like th this is something you want and you like the role you're in, you like the people you work with, you like the, the, uh, the potential um, medical director you might be working with or the other practice owner you'd be buying in with. So I think that those things are all extremely important to make sure you've vetted and done that. Myself, you know, I can't speak to what it's really like actually buying a practice. Um, you know, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I didn't go through that stage of, of things, um, you know, versus, you know, being us as a, as a family business. So I, I know that that can bring in, you know, things as far as financing and attorneys and, and making sure that everything's appropriate on that end. Um, but really, I, I tie back to just really at the core of what you are still doing as a, as a practice manager, owner all the time is you're still advocating for your clients, your patients, your, your staff. Your staff, and yeah. Those are the things that you know, we discussed earlier. People are already doing that. I, I hear managers yes, and these I managers agree. are put their blood, sweat, and tears into these practices. Yes, yeah, sometimes you more absolutely than the practice owners. Agreed. And and they deserve a piece of that. Yeah. And and that's where I think again you're that's the hard part to me. Yes, you might get some of these things where the the buck passes to you and you really are, you know, the, the or excuse me, the buck stops at you. But at the end of the day, like the the care, the passion that's put into these practices that's the most important part. And if that's there and this is the practice you want to be at and, and the team and, and everybody's there, then go for it. I, I think you deserve it to yourself financially. I think there's so many opportunities that can go from there. 
you know, Jake, you mentioned marriage earlier, and I, I remember Dr. Peter Weinstein at one point in time had said, you know, if it, you know, I talked to him about buying a practice, and he said, if you're gonna marry someone, if you're gonna get in bed with them, you know, you you better date them first, right? And so he said, be a manager there for a while, check out the practice, make sure that, like you're saying, Jake, make sure that you align, right? That you have some common values and common ground, and you like the practice and the culture and all those things. And yes, those are things that you can change as a practice manager. But if you are going to buy in with somebody sight unseen, you know, right, be there for a little while and make sure that that's really what you want to do. But what I see more often is these practice managers that, like you said, put their blood, sweat, and tears in a practice, and they're, you know, doing everything an owner would do as far as ownership mentality of, of decision making and and pouring their heart into the soul and making sure that the culture is what they want and all these different things but yet they don't have the return on that so I think going back to that thought process is saying hey if you're going to be doing this then at the end of the day wind up with a piece of the pie you know at the end of the day somehow some way yeah I, I couldn't agree with that more so as an owner and a manager, you have been in both roles, obviously. Understanding the difference between those two roles, what's your biggest struggle and, and, and like the obstacle that's in front of you that you're constantly hitting your head and banging your head against the wall as a practice owner versus something that we don't see as a practice manager? A couple things. I think I, I mentioned it a little earlier that the buck stops with you. You, you don't get any... Uh, you know, that that ability to say, you know, I'm, when when somebody comes to you and asking for a raise to say like, ah, it's, it's not in the budget or whatever, like you you have to be the one to justify why, why it is what it is and, and what's going on there. Um, same thing with a client complaint or an issue. Somebody's, you know, really upset and things, you know, you have to define, decide this is why we price what we do and be able to to say that. You don't get to pass that along to somebody else. And I would say a lot of managers already, like I say, the buck stops with them and they don't yeah, pass right. that off to, to their yeah, owners right. as it is. And that's another reason why they should be getting involved in, in practice ownership because they're already taking that responsibility. But that's that's certainly a challenge because that carries with it a lot of weight. You know, because when you do make a decision on something, you are the ultimate decision maker. And knowing that that kind of finishes and stops with you um, means you better be, you know, really aware of why you're making your decisions and what you're doing with those decisions and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, because otherwise, it's just a world of hurt and, and not understanding really what the uh, what the potential consequences are. It can be very mentally and exhausting and draining. So really, it would just come down to ah, stop. I want to back. I totally don't like that answer. That's totally fine. <laughs> you know, I was just gonna say too that <laughs> take two. As a as a practice manager, you're saying you know the buck stops with us, and we're we're making some of those decisions, and and even where our our owner should be or or could be possibly stepping in, and we end up making those either for them or because they're not available to make that decision, or they put it on us anyway. I think. What we often do, at least I did, I know for sure I did as a baby manager, I made decisions that were like off the cuff, right? Like, oh, it's just easier or this is assuming that she wants a discount on her bill. So I'm going to comp the exam, right? But then finding out later, like that's not what that lady wanted at all. So, so sometimes I think the decisions we just make are like 
either because they're easy decisions, it's the easiest choice in this, or the path of least resistance. Or when we hire somebody, we don't necessarily think of the effects of what that person's going to do to the team. We're just like, oh, someone with a pulse, yay. You know, get them on the phones, ASAP. But I think when we really stop and think about, like, this is a decision that affects the entire practice. I don't even care if it's discounting one exam or if it's hurry up and hiring because we need some relief on the phones. Those decisions, I still think, even though they're maybe minor decisions, really think about those, right? Really, really contemplate, is this the right person for the culture, right? It's not just a person with blood flowing through their veins that showed up for, you know, their interview. Or am I setting the wrong tone for the practice if I comp this exam because I don't want this lady to scream at me and make a scene or put something on Yelp or whatever the case may be? Or if we made a mistake, did we fess up, right? So I think those are all things that as a baby manager, I had to learn those. And I wish there was a podcast or a conference or someone that would tell me like, no, every single decision you make, you think about it in all the different possible ways you can. You ask for help, you get a second opinion, you phone a friend, right? You figure out, is this the best possible decision that I can make for my practice? Not just what's the easiest for right now. Definitely. And again, that goes back to just, just thinking like an owner, thinking what what does this, what do we represent as a practice? Um, what are our goals? What are we working towards? And that those decisions align with those types of, with what those goals are and what those uh, values are. Right. So if you were to circle back to your biggest obstacle, do you have another obstacle than you think you'd want to or biggest struggle that you'd want to um, dub in there? Are you good with that? I would add another struggle is a a wise manager once said that HR is 20% of our job description, but 80% of of what we do all the time. And that is something that is is really, I feel like sometimes again, particularly tough um, wearing that owner manager hat. There is none of that, again, that kind of that separation between management of staff and and ownership and sometimes as an owner you have to make the tough decisions for the greater good of the hospital but still also trying to advocate for your team and when you work with team that you care so much about and you work with it can sometimes again just be be a tough burden uh, when you have to make tough yeah, decisions a hard line to walk. Mm-hmm. that the team doesn't always necessarily agree with or understand why and it, exactly, it's just, it's a tough line to, to walk and can sometimes just carry a, a little extra weight. Um, and also making sure that you're making, again, the right decision, the decision that's appropriate for everybody involved um, and that you're not just focused in one particular area. Well said. So Jake, what's going on in your world? How have you managed through this COVID crisis and some people forget we are still in a pandemic. It does seem to be lessening. And at the time of this recording, the cases are dropping, which is great. Uh, but we're still there. You know, there's still an emergency mm-hmm. order. So, you know, how did you how did you manage through that? And what are a couple of changes, you know, or things that you implemented that absolutely saved your practice, you know, with respect to whether it was you did something with the phones, which we know are, you know, ringing off the hook or a curbside method or staffing or hiring, you know, what did you, um, 
What did you do that just you felt absolutely kept your practice afloat? So at the very beginning of of COVID, and, and I know this isn't as practical now, but I do keep it in my back pocket for the next time that there's some just crisis in the organization. But this was God, really the... I hope there's not another one. <laughs> I, I won't say <laughs> pandemic. I'll just say crisis. There'll probably be some business crisis or something. Uh, you know, we all go through those types of things. But for us, COVID was kind of the first one that was really just something that, yeah, just totally shaped our world, right? It did, just totally upended everything. Yeah, um, for sure. So hopefully there's not another pandemic. But if there is some other type of crisis, I'm drawn to, and, I, and I'm going to butcher this, but I think of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and that one of those primary needs is like safety. Yes. And I think... Foremost. Yeah. yeah so some sometimes I think we we're, we're able to not have to worry about those all the time like that that's not something that we have to worry about in you know our day and age being a first world country of just normal safety but the pandemic was kind of a time where we all said oh crap <laughs> we could die okay. and right. we need to be safe right. uh, and so that was something that we did right from the outset was improve our communication there was daily updates and things of what was going on what we know what's happening um, also being candid with what we don't know so just opening up the communication having two-way back and forth conversations about things answering questions being available for that we started having more frequent meetings where we were meeting and doing like a whole team huddle at the beginning of the day that we weren't originally doing so just something that could just keep opening up communication uh, so that everybody could feel like at least that transparent information was was moving around. So that was kind of probably one of the biggest things that we did from the outset um, to just create that sense of community within ourselves since everybody else was at stay at home and not interacting and being able to, to keep open communication throughout it. So that was something from a team perspective that uh again hopefully won't need to do something like that in the near future but in case there is again that's something that i would like to pull out uh from a, a workflow standpoint we changed a few things but we kept a lot of things pretty similar outside of doing curbside we we do curbside like most everybody else but a couple of things that we implemented to change, we added a pharmacy technician position. I'm sure we remember at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, we, we didn't have it at the beginning, but then when, you know, at the same time, everybody's hoarding toilet paper, uh, everybody wanted to hoard their pets' yes. medications and yes. things too. So we had the the massive influx of of RX requests where we were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta streamline this process. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that was putting a singular technician in charge of, again, just streamlining that process, figuring out how we can create less RXs going to a doctor's box so that we can free up doctor time to stay focused on the exam appointments. Um, so that was something that we implemented uh, pretty soon early on. We also created a triage technician. Right? Phones were off the hook, right? That's interesting, so yeah. Having a technician that all we couldn't see everybody. Um, you know, we we've made a hard stance in saying that. You know, we can't just accept every single walk-in urgent care appointment that comes in. 
you know, I know some practices do that for us. It it was just a total morale destroyer. It really compromised the care yeah. of other patients, really. Um, so unfortunately, there are scenarios where we have to say no um, or look at better ways of triaging to get these pets seen at a more appropriate time. So we had a, a triage technician, uh, typically an RVT, who would really look at okay, what, what's the situation that's coming out? Look at the client themselves. How active of a client are they with us? Um, what's this pet currently? Look at the pet situation and what's going on with the pet. Really being careful not to di diagnose or do anything of that sort, but really seeing how we could, okay, is this a pet that needs to be seen immediately in the next couple of hours? Or is this something that we can get scheduled on the books for later today or tomorrow? Um, and really trying to look at things that way. So that really, I think, helped a lot with flow. Awesome. Um, yeah, dealing sounds with that great. Too. So, Jake, from a practice owner standpoint, and knowing the role of a practice manager fairly well, what would you say are three things that, or maybe two, or maybe none, <laughs> what are three things that managers just totally botch, that we just screw up, and like, why do we do it this way, and you, from an owner's perspective, and then be able to go back to your manager and say, okay, listen, this, we're scrapping this, we're not doing this, this is horrible. Or is there just a few things, maybe like minor things that you would say like, hey, if we just stopped doing this, we'd get it right more often? I would say that, I, I think that really it goes back to the communication piece between the manager and the practice owner ensuring that those philosophies are on the same page that there is open good communication between the two of you first before starting to do things within the practice and that's an ongoing commitment as as frequent as it needs to be if it's weekly if it's monthly whatever that looks like for the manager and the practice owner to make sure that that you guys are on the same page with what's going on. I think that would be one of the first and foremost things to, to happen is getting on the same page with each other. Yeah, and what's that look like at your practice? Like you you have multiple managers in a fairly large leadership team. So does that mean that you're meeting with your leadership team, say, on a weekly basis, or you and your practice owner are sitting down face-to-face -face and saying six feet apart, of course, with masks, and saying like, hey – you know, what are you doing with this? Where are we at with that? How is this coming along? Do you know, do you need more support with this? Do you have help with that? You know, are we keeping up with our deadline for this? Like, do you meet face to face on a, on a regular basis? Or is it just like, email me whenever you need to and I respond right away? So one of those books that we briefly mentioned earlier, Traction, that's something that we really implement a lot in our practice. I love would very traction. much- that's yes. amazing. I love that you're bringing this up. This is great. <laughs> Somebody who, if you, if you, I, I highly recommend for any manager, any business really that, that is looking for a little bit more just structure when it comes to how to run the business, we follow a lot of the principles in there. Um, so that looks like for us quarterly meetings where it's an all day, you know, really ideally an, an offsite type of meeting. I know sometimes that can be really tough to do and, and we certainly didn't accomplish it with uh, the COVID cra craziness, uh, but starting to get back on track there. So that's a, a quarterly meeting where you really sit down and lay out quarterly, what the traction calls it rocks, but quarterly goals 
that you can stay focused on, really living in a 90-day world of, of priorities and goals and things that we're working towards. Um, then that gets brought into ideally, and, and again, it may not always work ideally, but ideally a weekly meeting, touching base. How are we doing on, on this project? Again, like you were saying, Andrea, uh, where are we at with, do you need any support? How's mm-hmm. this going? Yeah. And, and, and where are we at? And making sure that we're on track. And just solving issues as they come up, but tying it back to those priorities that we've already set. And that goes back to that quarterly meeting. So really having some solid structure in place for we're not going to solve all the world's problems when they come up but we're gonna take a step back look at where we want to go okay great we've, we've got our priorities and what we're working towards okay great now on a weekly meeting basis we'll kind of touch base on those and we'll solve issues related to those and anything that really falls outside of that unless it's urgent unless it's something that is really going to impact uh, our business or our goals or the things that matter to us you know this quarter right now we're going to table it and we're going to wait until next quarter to really address that. So almost like mini strategic planning meetings. Absolutely. Very cool. I just ordered that book on Amazon, by the way, because I haven't read it yet. Traction <laughs> is, yeah, Traction's yeah. amazing. Nice, and, dude. Good book. Uh, has a lot of really great framework in managing, which I think veterinary clinics are kind of unmanageable, right? Like, I mean, you have a million things that you do every day, everything. I mean, you are the client interface, you are the HR, you are the finance, you are all of those things. And traction really kind of helps you say, you know, every business is like that. So chunk it down and, you know, identify your rocks and identify your, you know, your roadblocks and, and um, come up with basically a sustainable way to communicate and deal with issues you know, and, and how to kind of manage all that, because sometimes that's it, right? That's the challenge is having 50 issues that you feel like you can never get through one at a time. And traction right. would say, you know, organize them, put them from, right. you know, urgent to not urgent and like teaches you all these really great ways to, to do that. So Jake, thanks for bringing that up. I love that book. It's, it's fantastic, uh, fantastic um, methodology, basically, and running a practice, that has got 20 people or a 1000 people, it doesn't matter how big it is. Yeah, for anybody who's looking or feels like there's just not enough structure or process to just how the business itself is run, I, I couldn't recommend traction enough. Do you have any other um, common mistakes or anything that you want to add to that? Or was that a, a conclusion for that question? We've talked about how, uh, you know, how it's so important for the, the manager and owner to be on the same page, especially in regards to making decisions and, and just keeping the whole practice on the same page with priorities. The second part that I would add to that is I think we don't put enough focus on the people. And when I say people, I certainly talk about clients and, and knowing that they are people too, not just this us versus them uh, um, thing that sometimes yeah, we can get right. into, especially mm-hmm. with COVID and it's curbside and we don't mm-hmm. see them all the time. Um, there's certainly that side of the people, but really what I'm talking about more is the people from a team standpoint. And this is the part that, you know, really sometimes when I talk with managers and un- unfortunately, and not to, to knock on any corporation in particular, 
but a lot of corporate practices where it's all about the numbers and everything being tied to you know financial metrics yeah, KPIs of some sort mm-hmm. and, and and I'm actually not against KPIs as long as the KPIs track something other than financial so if the KPIs are tracking our client service or tracking team engagement um, or patient care, that's fine. But I think when we really start to just boil it down to, okay, all the numbers that matter are, you know, did Dr. X reach their, you know, uh, average daily total today? And, and if it was below that, why didn't they? And it's all centered around the money that was generated and, and created for the day. That's where I think that there is a problem that we're, we're looking at it backwards. Really, it should start with looking at our teams, looking at our patient care, looking at our client service. Those are the three areas that it must focus on first and having faith and trust in the process that if we do those things right, that ultimately the money will come. And that's the part that I would really like to see um, Again, our industry, when I look at there's a lot of managers who care. And I think nobody really wakes up and gets excited about just the financial numbers of things. But I think that's kind of the default of how some businesses are run that I, I would really like to see changed and start to make more of that focus be on the people, our teams and our patients and, and trusting that the money will come feel like that's a Steve Jobs kind of thing, right? Isn't he the one that said, like, hire smart people and let them do their job and get the hell out of the way? That sounds like <laughs> something he would say. Yeah. <laughs> if you could give yourself, Jake, one piece of advice to, like, your younger self or any of the listeners um, listening in today, what would it be and why that? Why that piece of information? I like the younger self part of me because okay. I would love to go back and right when we <laughs> we would all love to go back <laughs> but i think i think i used to always think about like knowledge in this sense of picking up new a new business strategy or a new idea to be implemented when really i think the biggest thing is is learning about self care wow i'm surprised okay no, I, I I know there's a stigma that comes with that, but when when I and also self care, I lump a lot of things into that. But really, it's it's finding out what what's it for you that keeps your cup full. What's it for you that keeps you engaged and and just ready to take on the world every day. And if you can balance that and be aware of your own, you know, mental you know, storm that's going on inside all of our heads and how you can keep that at bay and, and in fact use it to a way that um, serves everybody around you. That's where I think I would love to go back and again, going back to some books like Reading Power of Now, um, looking at something that, that looks at that. If I had known about meditation sooner or journaling to, to connect with my, myself a little bit better, those would be practices I wish I had incorporated a lot more in my younger years when I didn't understand why I was so angry or I didn't understand why um, I was feeling jealous about something. And now, you know, having a little bit more awareness 
has been something that I think, especially as a leader, and I really think this for anybody, anybody, if you are a leader of people, you owe it to your team and you have an obligation to get your own house in order and make sure that you are aware of how you are, what energy you bring to the practice every day, what energy you bring to the people around you every day. That well is awesome. Said. Yes, right. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic are you drop. kidding me? Fantastic, Jim. So, Jake, I know that you and I have talked many, many, many hours worth of great, fun conversations and shared time with um, the cackling hens from the OC Managers Group and shared stories and the whole, like, We've all had these encounters where, you know, eyes pop out of your head like pug, your chin hits the ground, your forehead smacked on the forehead like, did this just happen? Like, is this real right now? Am I dreaming? Pinch myself. Yeah, like, no way could I make this shit up. Like, tell me a story. And of course, change names to protect the innocent. But Tell me a story that you have just been like, seriously, this just happened. <laughs> I, I've got a, a good, funny story. It's not necessarily like a jaw-dropping story, but it's just one of those things that it's like, really? That happened? That's that's funny. I can't believe Perfect. that. Perfect. Right. So it was, uh, you know, after first few years of working in the practice, um, I decided I, I was ready for a vacation. Um, my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, she, it was her first like vacation after her getting kind of going and, and things with her career. And we decided we were going to take a nine day vacation to Hawaii. So we were going to, we were both determined to unplug and just really enjoy each other, enjoy traveling and just spending some time. And yeah. Get a little self care in there. Right. Exactly. Right. right, right. amazing. <laughs> so... Um, I have an office manager currently who has now been our office manager um, for, for a few years now. At the time, she, she was one of our long-term employees. She had been with the practice for nearly 15 years, but she had just recently stepped into our office manager role. Um, so she was still kind of getting her bearings of, of leadership. And then especially with me stepping out of the hospital, that was kind of her first real test of, of being by herself and really kind of running the ship with with uh, nobody being there. So, you know, I kind of told her like, look, we're, we're trying to unplug. You know, I, really, I want you to run things. Don't worry, make decisions. You know, only call me if, you know, the building's on fire, you know, serious emergency. Otherwise, it's, it's yours. You got it. So we get on the plane. Everything's good. We're, we're flying. We, we land. We check into the hotel. We're probably in our hotel room for no more than five minutes. And my phone's off. I've turned it off. I'm done. Uh, my my fiance, she's got her phone on. She gets a phone call. And it's like, huh, this is a 626 number, which is the, the area code for our practice. And she's like, that, that's weird. You know, I was like, okay, well, why don't you answer it? Well, it says, hey, you know, is, is Jake there? Can I talk to him? Get the phone. She says, hey, Jake, you know, I know you said not to call, but the fire department's no here and there's there's some all of a sudden there's been smoke in the treatment room and I don't know what's going on. She's a little flustered. No. <laughs> I was just like, really? So it, it all ended up fine. 
uh, you know, it ended up just being like a bad ballast or something. But it was enough that, that there was smoke everywhere, apparently. The fire department came out. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, but it was wow. just one of those things of just like, really, the building caught on fire. Right, the one her. thing you Literally, told her. Literally, like, it did. Only call me if. <laughs> That's funny. So that that was just oh, a, a wow. funny laughing story where yes, nobody got hurt. There was no serious damage, but it was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so Jake, this is the part in the show where we go through the rapid fire, and so what we're gonna do is ask a couple of questions. the The goal is that you don't need to overthink them. You just just respond right off what's right on the tip of your tongue, and you know, bang, right to the point. You know, this is it. Uh, and, and if you go off a little bit, you know, don't worry, we'll edit it. But it's really meant to be kind of that, uh, you know, that, that three or four word answer to my question. And it just blows through to kind of get dig a little deeper into getting to know you. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. It was the first six months of really being a practice manager and the fridge one of the fridge that stores all of our vaccines and medical supplies was left open overnight. And I just was like, eh, it is what it is. And we threw it out, not realizing that we have insurance and we can call and get reimbursed for that. So that was a $8,000 mistake right at the beginning that I still have like dreading over me to this day. <laughs> Tell me about your proudest moment. Uh, when we created Hospital Values, it really created a solid foundation for our team, and it's something we still use to today. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? I love the people. Animal people are just good people, and I feel like we don't have you know egomaniac jerks in this place. It's just a bunch of people who care and, and want to do the right thing. Tell me a little bit about self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I do a little bit of everything. And I, I feel like I've been doing lots of it more and more as time has gone on. But sleep is a huge one, making sure I sleep eight hours a day. Uh, I really love to lift weights, so I like to work out consistently too. Eating right, journaling, uh, meditation is something good too. Uh, really, I think more recently has been noticing the difference between escape activities and recharging activities. I, I need both. I certainly, and when I say escape, it's something that for me, it's opening up a beer and watching some TV. Uh, and that's great. But when it turns into three or four beers and four or five hours of TV, it's not self-care anymore. <laughs> that's something where trying to notice the difference between just needing a little bit of a break, but actually, okay, I'm going to sit down and, and journal and actually do something that helps me. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? Ooh, the constant struggle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely a harmony trying to get that and, and figure out how, how to best balance that. Uh, it's been more recently setting boundaries. It's, it's really putting a line and saying, you know, office hours are over at five o'clock or, or whatever it is on the given day and saying, okay, I'm done here. I'm going to focus my time on my fiance. I'm going to spend time with my pets or, or whatever that is. So that's something that I think is really important, setting the boundaries, the work guilt. Uh, absolutely. There's 
always feeling of guilty that am I doing right by my team? Am I doing right for our practice? And it's a thought pattern that I am still trying to unravel and and break apart. So what keeps you up at night? Things that you stress out over and things that cause you anxiety in the hospital? Am I doing right by my team? Am I doing right by my clients? Am I doing the best thing for the business? It's kind of that second guessing, but uh, just always making sure I'm, I'm doing the right thing and making the right decision. Uh, it, it definitely keeps me up at night. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? It's the drive to be better. I Whether it's self-improvement or for the business, making the business better, I just love getting better each and every day. Um, so taking on that the day with, all right, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be better. Awesome. Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thank we you. We so appreciate it. This is and great. Yeah. Thank be you well for having me. Be safe out there. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.